Hey everybody, this is an introduction to ION 2020, the first couple episodes I'm going to tag this introduction to, just because when I first started podcasting, I was really new to it, and I didn't understand how sound worked, I didn't really understand the format of podcasting and so forth, so if you'll bear with me on the first 15 to 20 shows or so, I guarantee if you get through those ones, you'll uh, start enjoying a lot of the topics that we cover on this show. I do have a Monday through Friday show, so if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that as well. You can listen to the newer episodes, but if you're one of those people that starts at episode one and then goes through, just keep that in mind that I was brand new to podcasting at the time, and I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the show, though. I welcome you to listen to another perspective on the 2020 election. I take a libertarian take on these things, and if you like to hear a different take on the 2020 election then definitely this is a place for you, okay? So thank you for joining me, and uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can hear the show tomorrow, the brand new shows that we put out day in and day out, Monday through Friday, okay? ION 2020, episode 10. Thank you for joining me on the Eye on 2020 podcast. My name is Ray Eaton, and I will be your host as we move towards November of 2020. I plan to do all the research on these presidential candidates so you don't have to. So if you like politics, enjoy, because if 2020 is anything like 2016, we are in for a treat. Oh, and did I mention I'm a libertarian through and through? And thank you for joining me on the Eye on 2020 podcast. This is Ray Eaton. I am your host, and I certainly do appreciate all the listeners listeners that I get uh, as we go forward in this 2020 election cycle. We are so far out, and it seems like the news is few and far between, but I'm going to find some really good stuff for you going forward because this is a daily podcast, and I am going to make things work for you. Um, now, you know, with all this stuff going on with Trump and the shutdown, you know, I, it's hard for me to even, you know, bring up 2020 election stuff. But, I mean, this guy is uh, is really bold in what he's doing, and he's really standing firm on, on this. And, I, and everyone wonders if this is going to be something that's going to help him out or not. Who knows? But, um, anyway, I appreciate everyone joining me today for the ION 2020 podcast. Uh, this is going to be... This is going to be exciting as we go forward, uh, because if 2020, like I, like I always say, if 2020 is anything like 2016, we're in for a treat. Um, the field, though, for the Democrats, that's pretty much we're looking at it right now, where we have Donald Trump's going to be running against Democrats, right? Um, I, there's very few chances of somebody running against Donald Trump. It might happen, but you never know. Uh, you never know what would happen, of course. And, you know, this guy, he can he can fall hard over the next couple of years as well just because, you know, of how bold he is in a lot of the actions that he takes, right? Um, shutting down the government the longest it's ever been. He's very stubborn in his views. Um, he's not going to change those things either. And, you know, no one's going to, he's not going to listen to a lot of people because he makes up his mind on things and he makes those decisions. But he is standing firm on this border wall thing, getting some funding for that. Um, and, you know, that was a promise that he made to his constituency, right? And if he does not at least hold firm on those things, if he doesn't do it 
you know, if, if, if he doesn't seem like he's being as hard-nosed as he can on this thing, it's just going to – it'll only hurt him. So because his – he has that, you know, 33 34% of the Republicans that vote, he has those people, you know, in his pocket. They're not going anywhere. And if he – but – if he does not hold firm to this, then they will go somewhere. So that's, I think that's the calculation that he's making with this, with this whole government shutdown thing is it's only going to benefit him, not hurt him the longer it goes on. When he said that, you know, Democrat or not Democrats, but you know, most government workers are Democrat. I mean, that, that was a stupid thing to say, but, uh, but I mean, it, let's just say if there's any truth to it, let's say 60% or, you know, 55% 55% are Democrats or, you know, 60% are Democrats, then, yeah, you're going to have, but you probably have some people that are diehard, you know, diehard Republican, diehard Donald Trump fans as well in that group also. So, but, you know, he, he makes some stupid moves, He but it could, it is possible, it really is possible that someone could run against him. I don't know for sure, but the guy can fall hard because of the way that he is. Um, or he could become very popular. Who knows? I mean, if the economy, if the stock market starts bumping, if if everything's going smooth, if everyone, um, you know, if, if jobs are going like crazy and they say there's 4% unemployment, libertarians kind of take a different view on that because you're going to look at a lot of different factors as well, like the uh, the job force participation rate and so forth, you know, but... Um, the labor participation rate. You, you take all those things into account. Um, he can run on the fact that there's four percent unemployment, and the reason why I say that is because I hear people talk about that all the time when I'm talking with them. The economy is doing great. There's low unemployment, but labor force participation is lower. But I, I've heard people dispute that as well, and the reason why. I don't take that number into account too much, and I'd love to see some more stats on it, but the reason why I don't take that labor force participation rate being so low as a statistic that I care too much, or that I look too much at, is just because um, you have boomers that are retiring at 10,000. 10,000 baby boomers retire every single day. So when you have 10,000 people moving out of the labor force every single day, they are going to hit that labor force participation rate in a negative way so you're going to have less people in the workforce just because of that so when they do the when when the government checks for unemployment what they do is they call and they say a few questions and one of them is are you looking for a job right now and if you are not looking for a job right now then you're not considered unemployed and a retiree at 65 years old, they retire. At 62 years old, they retire. At 70 years old, and they retire. Then the day before, someone calls and says, are you in the workforce? Do you have a job? They say yes. The next day, do you have a job? No. Are you looking? No. So now at that point, they're not considered as a labor, as part of the labor force, so they're not in the unemployment rate anymore. <clears throat> and they're considered part of those people that are in that are not part of the labor force, so that labor labor force participation rate goes down. So anyway, Donald Trump, yeah, he could really get, um, he could he could really fire up a lot of people, uh, both negatively and positively over the next two years. So he, if if the economy is going great, 
you know, barring a recession, barring, uh, you know, the stock market tanking, things like that. If, if if things seem to go pretty smooth for this guy, then we're not going to have, and he then his 33, 35% of people that are, you know, diehard for him, they're going to vote for him no matter what. They're not going anywhere. The wall, though, with this government shutdown, the wall would keep those people, or if he did not, push hard for that wall that might keep those people from voting for him right or being as excited about him oh he felt they might say something like oh he did not you know come through with his promises even though if you look at a lot of the promises that he had he did keep quite a few of those promises as well so but it can only hurt him if he doesn't push hard for that wall and i think that's the calculation that he's taking taking into account it could but over the next two years, he might have somebody run against him. It's possible because, you know, if, if the economy starts going bad, if unemployment starts going in a different direction for this guy, you know, even though unemployment probably doesn't have too much to do with the presidency as it is, you do have people that blame everything on the president. Like, for example, gas prices. Back when gas prices were at $4 a gallon, people were blaming Barack Obama for it. When gas prices are, you know, $1.99 a gallon. Now, I'm in South Carolina. We have, I guess, the cheapest gas, in, or one of the cheapest gases in the nation. So, around the country, you know, the averages, let's say they're $2.50 a gallon, and that's pretty low. And as they go lower, people are still blaming, not blaming, but giving credit to the president. So whether it's Barack Obama, who did have cheap gas during his time, but he also had high prices of gas, people blamed him for blamed him for the good and blamed him for the bad. Same thing with Donald Trump. And look at Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago. He was or a couple of days ago he's in a news conference and he says that's it's not by mistake. You know, I I worked hard to make those gas prices go down, but that's not a true statement. I mean, he might have talked with the Saudi prince to pump a little bit more oil or what, or something, but um, gas prices are so low because of what's going on over in uh, Nebraska and these oil fields that are the fracking fields. You have the fracking fields up there in North and South Dakota. You have fracking that's going on in Colorado, and it's just really good technology that allows them to pump oil really cheap. Um, like not necessarily really cheap, but a lot of oil. That's what I mean. So as long as oil, I think it's there's a number specifically that as long as oil is above around sixty dollars a barrel, it's pretty ch- it's very profitable to frack and get that oil out. Now when it goes down below fifty dollars a barrel, like the fifty dollar mark, is when those oil uh, oil pipelines stop flowing. That's when they it's not a good investment for them to go in there and do the fracking for the oil. So you're going to have less pumping that decreases the supply, which causes the prices to go back up a little bit. So there, there's a certain within the oil sector, there's certain prices that eat that every every um, well owner knows that at this price I can pump, at this price I should not pump, and they kind of use that to figure things out. So when there's more supply, the price starts coming down. In effect people stop pumping as much and then the price starts to stabilize again and that gives stability of the price of the oil certain times though i mean if you have donald trump out there telling saudi prince to pump 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 then it's going to increase the supply of oil which is going to bring down the price 
a little bit, but I don't think that that, I mean, the, the, the low prices that we have now definitely are not just the fact that there's Donald Trump out there keeping the prices of oil down, like some, you know, manager of the economy that for some, some reason people think that presidents are. They blame the president for good economies, they blame the president for bad economies, but a lot of times there's just fluctuation in the economy. That's the way it is, especially with the Federal Reserve that we have. Um, you know, you're going to have business cycles and so forth. You're going to have small, short-term business cycles and long-term business cycles, and that's just the way it is. So you can't necessarily give Donald Trump too much credit, um, but I guess you can give him credit where credit's due, and that is the fact that he did do the... He did have the um, the tax cuts, which which helped out a lot of the corporations to bring back money into the United States <clears throat> to save on corporate taxes and so forth. And that's going to help those companies to do a little bit more hiring, do a little bit more capital investing, buying back stocks, buying back uh, or paying down bonds and so forth. And that's going to help the economy in some way. And it, and it definitely has. I mean, you can see it. So... Today I'd like to get into a, an article that I found on for Time Magazine, and that was uh, actually pu- published today at around 3.55 p.m., uh, and that is by Abby Vesalis, and it's in Time Magazine on their website, and it says uh, more than 450 candidates have already registered for the Federal Elec- Election Commission to run for president in 2020. That is insane. 450 candidates have already registered. And I've only heard about four of them, four or five of them, so I'm going to have to look this up and see who these candidates are and what parties they're running for. Because <clears throat> this is the Ion 2020 podcast, and we have our Ion 2020, and my eye's only been on a couple of people, so I am dropping the ball. So I'm going to have to follow this link at some point and figure out who these 450 candidates are. And I guess I have 450 podcasts to go over. Um, <clears throat> over the next couple weeks, so keep your ears ears and eyes peeled for those 450 candidates. Maybe I'll just go through a bunch of them and find out who the serious ones are and then go that way, or break them down maybe by, um, by Democrats, Republicans, Constitutional Party, Libertarian Party, and so forth, and go by the different parties, because I'm sure of those 450 candidates that have already registered for the Federal Election Commission to run for president in 2020, I'm sure that's 450 different parties the socialist party the green party and so forth i mean there's there's probably tons so the election is still more than 600 days away but democratic playing field is the democratic playing field is already looking crowded here are the people officially running and the people dropping hints that they probably will <clears throat> number one president donald trump some pundits thought political outsider donald trump might not like his job in the Oval Office. I thought he wouldn't like it. I I really didn't think that he was going to be more than a four-year president just because um, of all the backlash he's going to. But I think he's one of those people that when people push him, he pushes back harder, and that's going to cause him to go ahead and um, run for president in 2020 just because he's trying to try to push these people back. So, But he wasted no time in running for and registering for his running for re-election. He did it in on June of 2017. Um, excuse me, it says, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, then Deputy Press Secretary, told reporters, of course he's running in June 2017. In February of 2018, conservative outlet Drudge Report confirmed it. Brad 
Pascal, who led Trump's digital strategy in 2016, will be his campaign manager. So what's, it says, what's uh, Trump's qualifications? He's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business with a bachelor's degree in economics. He previously started started in the reality t- television show, and he's been president. All you can say is he's been president for the last two, you know, two years. <clears throat> so, what's the rationale? From a historic angle, Trump is a shoe in for the 2020 GOP nomination because very rarely do people run against a sitting president, right? Uh, but what's he has a lot of controversies. It says, while Trump has benefited from the stable economy, among other achievements, the administration has taken countless hits for Trump, Trump's former associates, his tweets, and his policies. Two years after the election, he has not released his tax returns. That's going to become a big issue, I'm sure. His second Supreme... I'm sh- actually, I'm come to think of it with his tax returns, I'm sure that... I, I've heard that the uh, Congress is going to be going after him to try to force him to release his tax returns. But I don't think that that's a law that you have to release your tax returns. That's not something that's, that's um, that, I mean, every president has for the last, I, th- for, I mean, since the, since, what is it, since like the World War II era, every president has. But still, you're looking at, I mean, it's not a law. And so I don't think he has to. I don't defend him on it or anything. But because you should be a little bit um, transparent in your ways, right? His second Supreme Court was accused of sexual assault, and his EPA chief resigned amid piling ethics complaints. His administration has been sued over an immigration policy and migrant children. Trump's former colleagues face charges of indictment for foreign lobbying, tax fraud, and lying to federal officers. So there's been plenty of controversies with the guy, of course. Um, and there, a lot of them are made-up controversies. I mean, you got the Russian thing going on, and most likely, you know, that had nothing to do with him. Um, I don't think there's been any real evidence that's come, come up uh, over the guy as well. But special prosecutors, they're going to dig, dig, dig. That's what they do, right? Um, you had the same thing happen with, um, with Bill Clinton back in the 90s over the Whitewater thing. They dug, dug, dug. They didn't find anything in Whitewater, but then it led to the monocle, ultimately... It got capped off by the Monica Lewinsky affair, and that, that's what that's what special prosecutors do. They're not going to give up until they find something. So that's what they're doing with Donald Trump, and they're they're literally going after all of his colleagues. And I mean, controversies being controversies, like this guy has just had a open door of people coming in and out of this administration as well. And I think that's not. That is not the normal. That is not the norm. The guy fires people left and right, just as much as he. Fi- I mean, I think it's like every week there's a new firing. It's kind of like he's back on the uh, the Apprentice. So, <clears throat> so that's fine. He's. I mean, he's a controversial character, though. And that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, he's running for 2020. I mean, that's just he's gonna run, and there's probably not gonna be too many people that are, you know, have the balls to run up against this guy. So next next person they talk about representative representative Tulsi Gabbard. We talked about her a couple of days ago on the podcast. Uh, she announced about a week ago, and it says here Representative Tulsi Gabbard broke down barriers when she became the first Samoan American and first Hindu elected to Congress. Before her election in 2012, she served as a Hawaiian National Guard and went first in Iraq and then to Kuwait. She is, uh, let's see, she's the youngest woman ever elected to the Senate. 
and she won a Hawaii House seat at age 21. Elected to the, sorry, not elected to the Senate. She's the youngest woman elected in the state when she won the Hawaii House seat at age 21. On January 11th, Gabbard declared she's going to look, looking to break down another barrier by becoming the first, first woman president. Her qualifications. After being homeschooled for most of her life, Gabbard studied business at Hawaiian Pacific University and graduated in 2009. Wow, she's really young. Gabbard does not have an advanced degree, but does have experience serving in Honolulu City Council, in Hawaii's state legislator, in the National Guard, and as a congresswoman. So she graduated in 2009. She must be a little bit older than that, though, because um, she wouldn't be able to run for president if she wasn't much older. In 2009, that would put her... That if she was 22 when she graduated in 2009, that would make her 32 now. That's not enough to be running for president. Um... I think it's like 38. So Rationale Gabbard has recently visited crucial states like Iowa and New Hampshire. She also wrote a book slated to be published in spring. Yeah, everyone writes a book, right? I mean, even uh, Rand Paul wrote a book. I read it. And uh, so whenever they're about to run for president, they write a book. I guess that's going to get some, at least make her a little bit of money. I think that's a good way to put a little bit of money into your coffers as well. Unlike Trump, Gabbard was wartime, has wartime experience. She actually left Hawaii's house in order to serve in Iraq. I stepped down, she quotes, I stepped down from the legislature where I served and headed to a war zone, she said in 2012 Democratic National Convention. Quote, as a combat veteran, I know the cost of war, end quote. Controversies, Gabbard is only 37 and has limited congressional experience in comparison to other Democrats expected to enter the ring. Other than her age, she's also faced criticism for helping her father's anti-gay organization, the Alliance for Traditional Marriage, around the early 2000s. Their organization ran a successful campaign to give the state's legislator power to reserve marriage to opposite-sex couples. There is evidence the group also supported controversial therapy according... or supported conversion therapy according to the Web Archives, Archives, if elected, she'd be the youngest president in American history. <clears throat> All I know is the woman is um, anti-war. That was strong. I've heard that she's a raging socialist, though, so um, you kind of got to weigh the two. I would support her as long... What I support her doing is making war the number one issue. The anti-war message has to be the number one issue for and if that's the case, I think that's a very positive thing, and it'll help her out a lot. And it'll bring it center stage on the, you know, on that podium when she's, you know, debating these people as well. And I like the fact that you can have somebody as the as an anti-war candidate. It's a good message to have, and I, I support her for that. Okay, Julian Castro talked about him the other day as well. You might know Julian Castro's name from his previous roles as San Antonio's mayor or his more recent stint as former President Barack Obama's housing and urban development secretary. His qualifications, he graduated from Stanford University and Harvard Law School, so he's a bright guy. Like Gabbard, she's, he's known for starting politics at a young age. And the rationale is the, the native Texan said that he thinks he can be the antidote to Trump on hot-butt issues like immigration. So he's a one-trick pony as well. He's going to be an immigration candidate. I think I kind of picked that up the other day. Um, <clears throat> he got Elizabeth Warren, talked about her on my first episode. Go back and look at it and listen to it. You'll love it. Um, 
the sound quality might be a little bit sketchy, but that was my first ever podcast, and uh, that we're on episode 10, so go back to episode 1. Senator, Senator Elizabeth Warren was not officially announced her candidacy, but she did announce she was forming the Exploratory Committee, and she has been in Iowa, and she has been in North or New Hampshire the last couple of weeks. So um, she's a Massachusetts Democrat, and she's been to both of those places. So if she is not running, she's announced her exploratory committee, so she's trying to get some fundraising going. And she was probably the most anticipated person to run for president on the Democratic side, but also with the most fanfare. That's not from the article. I'm just saying that. Um, she thinks she could help rebuild the middle class. In a video announcing the foundation of her exploratory committee, she discusses her childhood in Oklahoma. Now, her mom had, a, had to find a minimum controversies that uh, Elizabeth Warren has had. Um, Warren released the results of her DNA test. We all know about that. She's obviously not Native American. She's like one one thousandth Native American, so she can't even claim that she is. Um, people criticize the way that she went about that, right? Which, you know, we all, we all saw the memes. It was hilarious. Senator Sherrod Brown... Sherrod Brown, like Warren, Senator Sherrod Brown has not officially declared he's running, but he has said he's considering it. Um, his qualifications, he's an Ohio Democrat, received his bachelor's degree from Yale and two master's degrees from Ohio State University. He's a pretty smart guy, obviously, then, right? Um, Brown is a liberal Democrat, an avid proponent of American manufacturing. He's led opposition movements against the North American Free Trade Agreement and has argued for reform reform on Wall Street to protect individuals over corporations. I mean, he's not going to be able to distinguish himself too much from Trump on the blue-collar worker type thing. Um, and he's just a white male. And, you know, with the with the politics that, that Democrats have, being a white male against another white male, they don't want to put up with another white male. I, I'm totally getting that because, you know, you know how... Democrats are all about identity politics, and that's what he, you know, he's going to be the white male. But I mean, he, he might have some good, he might have some good um, points of view. You never know. He is a liberal, and being a, being a libertarian, you know, they're going to have some views on those social issues that are going to be generally okay. But, um, you know, those aren't the main things that are going to affect people's pocketbooks, though. Like, let's stay away from you know, the higher taxes and distributing wealth and all that. I mean, those are things that liberals are just terrible on. Controversies. Brown's wife had alleged she had feared for her safety and the safety of their children when they were getting divorced in the late 80s. GOP operatives tried to use this, you know, against him back when he was trying to get elected. Um, I was proud to support Sherrod in 2006 and 2012 is what um, his wife said. So, you know, obviously she says he... She, even, she says he's an honorable man. So, so I'm having a hard time finding out uh, or figuring out where these Democrats are going to really distinguish themselves, though. They're getting a, they're, you know, starting to build up in a field of multiple candidates. You're going to have the, uh, Julian Castro is going to be the immigration candidate. You got the anti-war candidate. You got the people that are going to just be, you know, right down the middle candidates. You have the, the white male in the group and things. So, you know, what, what are the Democrats really going to do to distinguish themselves? I don't know. I do want to take a look into these 450 other 
candidates that are going to be running against or that are you know that have already put the put in the information and filed to run against Donald Trump on the all these other different parties that are out there as well that should be some interesting research because going forward we're going to have you know lots of interesting opportunities coming up you know with these candidates and figuring out who's the best one who's you know who's the most exciting candidate you're going to have Bernie Sanders and you know I think Barack Obama recently called for new blood so maybe he's trying to push Bernie Sanders out of this out of the arena maybe push Hillary Clinton into not making a decision to run as well calling for new blood um so it'll be exciting but being a libertarian I was kind of thinking about things as well when it comes to this podcast so I'm a libertarian I I move towards the anarcho-capitalist libertarian when I say anarcho-capitalist that's somebody that believes in minimal government to the point that there is no government maybe having groups of people that make decisions within like local areas that are you know voted on in the sense of like a to compare to like a homeowners association, I hate using that term because people don't really like their homeowners associations. But when you have homeowners associations that are competing against other homeowners associations in that way, you're going to have better, you know, governing of that area, right? Or gov- better management, I guess, of that area. So, getting getting away from the centralized powers, though. Giving mostly, I think it's getting away from the monopoly on violence that government has, right? So. We believe that government is the only entity that has the monopoly on violence in a designated area, and why should the government have the ability to use violence against its against its people, against the the people that are voting these people into office? So a person gets voted into office, now they have the ability to pass laws that the government can use violence to enforce against you, and. You know, in a homeowners association, they don't. You have a contractual obligation to follow certain things, and if you don't like it, then you can move. Right? You can move into the homeowners association down the road, or you can move into the outskirts of town where there is no homeowners associations. But they don't have the ability to use violence against you in order to get their way. Whereas the government could, they could come in and you know put a gun to your face and take your money, or put you in jail, and take all your stuff. And that's just the way it is. So from the the anarcho-capitalist perspective I think that a government we don't really need government I think that the people can can function in society without you know a, a fully functioning government in that way and it's really hard to explain it to somebody that's never heard of the anarcho-capitalist view um, but you just have to get you have to start with a certain basis which in my opinion it comes down to the use of violence we should you know, we should not use violence against other people, and we should not hire somebody else to use violence against people because we feel like there's a, a, something they should do, right? Um, so, from the voting perspective, a lot of anarchists, anarchists, anarcho-capitalists have this view that you should not um, vote because you're initiating violence against somebody else by the very act of voting you're you're voting so you are saying or you're giving somebody who you voted for the ability to go and use violence now other people say that you can use the, your vote as a defensive measure against the state um 
I kind of take the latter rather than the former perspective a little bit more. And But I choose, I typically choose not to vote because I don't think that, I honestly, I think it's a waste of time. And I just haven't done it. So, but I still like to, I still like to get involved in the political process in the sense that I like to know what's going on and I like to follow the candidates. Um, but I, I think as I start critiquing these candidates, I'm going to critique it from more of an, from more of a libertarian perspective. I'm going to get dig deep into these people's views and then put together a critique based upon my view of what of where they're wrong and how they can you know how they should change or how a better candidate might go to market with that particular view for example you have a bernie sanders who wants to raise the minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour um and we look at that as a possible there are some people would look at that as a good thing but we know when you raise minimum wages, it does multiple things that are negative. There's unforeseen consequences to that action. The first negative consequence is you make it so that entry-level workers are less likely to get hired because they're not as productive. Um, and you also force you make the likelihood of automation to happen more because when you have a wage of $15 an hour, a business owner is going to say is going to take certain things into account and they're going to look at that $15 wage well they could either hire one person to do the job of two people or they could hire a machine which will do the job of three or four people and they're going to have an easier time getting the capital requirements that they need in order to in order to hire a machine rather than a person so when you look at the Bernie Sanders view of let's make the women wage $15 an hour, you have to really dig deeper into that and say the feel-good feeling that you get when you hear $15 an hour, especially if you're making 10 bucks an hour, well, anyone could use an extra 5 bucks an hour when they're working, right? But you don't, the things that you see is the $15 an hour, the thing that you don't see is the jobs that, or the businesses that don't hire people and go towards an automated process. So that's what I think I'm going to start doing with some of these candidates is really breaking down their policy ideas, especially on the Democratic side, because they have lots of bad feel good, bad policies that just feel good to, you know, the, the voters that don't think too much about those things. They get excited about the ideas and so forth. But if you could just break down those ideas that they have into a, from a libertarian perspective, I think that that's the way I'm going to go to, go to bat against these people. Because we have the right views. Libertarians have the right views on these things. They've, they're they well-thought-out views. Their views about a lot of these issues that, that candidates are going to bring up, that when you really look into them, you know, the un, unforeseen con- consequences of those actions that government has tend to, um, tend to really hurt society as a whole. Whereas the libertarian ideas that we have of Leaving, leaving people alone to make their own decisions a lot of times is very helpful. So that's what we're going to do on the ION 2020 podcast going forward. I think those, those are some of the episodes I'm going to do is policy ideas that these candidates have. And uh, why don't you guys keep your eye on 2020 with me? And I do appreciate all of my listeners. I hope you'll go ahead and um, support the show, share the show, like the show, 
you know, anything you can do to help me get this get this show out there. Um, I'm going to try to put together the best shows that I can for you and uh, keep your eye on 2020 with me.